Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the studio at the Coming Home Network International, but you're hearing us on EWTN Radio. And thank you for joining us today. Our guest for this program is Ron Meyer. He joined me on Monday night's Journey Home program. It's good to have you back, Ron. Ron has a program of his own on EWTN Radio, uh, Blessed to Play. That's on Friday afternoons. So in a couple days, you may want to tune into that at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 2.30. Just 2.30. 2.30, yeah. Great. Well, let's get it right. And in which he interviews uh, men and women of sports. Right. Catholic athletes, you know, uh, sports professionals, sports writers, you know. And yeah, 2.30 and 4.30 on Sunday is the encore. All right. Great. Well, that's that's really great. And uh, I mean, particularly, I, I think that's a it isn't completely true, but it's particularly a, a program that would be aiming at men out there to get them to challenge them in their faith. Absolutely. Although I do have a lot of elite athletes who are women as well. So we invite the ladies to tune in. Well, that probably gets the men listening even more. <laughs> That's <so>. right. <laughs> in case you didn't hear the program Monday night, which I encourage you to do and, and pick up the replay of the journey home, uh, Ron is what you would call a revert. He was brought up Catholic and uh, and left it for a while, partially as a result of sports and, mm-hmm. and, and that, and then later as a result of the mercy of God. Actually, in the you might say the the humor of God's will allowing a particular illness to come into your life mm-hmm. through which he awakened you um, to his mercy and grace. And if you want to know the rest of the story, go listen to the Journey Home program on EWTN. You can, you can download that. <clears throat> but just a little bit of a background. Uh, I mean, Ron does come from a, a lot of sports in his background. He's won numerous amateur tournaments throughout the country, including four state divisional titles and two regional finals in racquetball. And um, he's has qualified and participated in the Nationals in Houston, Texas, and U.S. Open in Minneapolis. So he, he likes to be in those closed walls, smacking that little ball around. Uh, you know, I when I got out of college, I had an old guy taught me handball. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I thought, here's this old guy. He can hardly walk. And I'm a young you know, buck out of college, and I think I'm going to just show him what for. And he got me on the court, and he didn't move an inch. And he had me running everywhere. He had your running, Marcus. Oh, you know, I mean, he knew. He knew the game. When you know the game yeah. and the finesse of the game, you, you can hardly, I mean, you hardly have to show any effort and you can run your opponent ragged if you know the game. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's some of my experience early on playing racquetball. You know, a lot of people <laughs> ran me around. <laughs> you burn more calories that way, by they, the way. They're yeah, helping yeah. you out. Yeah, they are. But that is the beauty of those games. And the, it's kind of like backgammon. You can play backgammon, get done as quick as you can, and play it one way, or you can play it with great skill sure. and control your opponent forever. Yeah. There's the beauty of the different levels of the games. And, and, of course, there's the beauty of sports. And I think you can impart mercy, too, on your opponent in these situations, can't you? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's... <laughs> The beauty of sports. I just I love sports myself. Ron also hosts a national sports radio program, which we just mes- mentioned, Blessed to Play, aired on EWTN Radio and Sirius 130. Um, and he currently works for EWTN as a marketing manager. Ron and his wife, Julie, have three children, Anna, Angelica, and Maria. I ended up with three boys. you got three girls. We have to talk. <laughs> We'll let the Lord work that out, right? Well, it's great to have you here, Ron. And, it's good uh, to be here. What we do on this program is often a, a continuation of the journey home is uh, because we didn't have a lot of time for scriptures, we we'll often ask the guests, what, what are some scriptures that have really made a difference to you in your journey? And let me first ask, before we jump into that, at what place would you say scripture played in your own journey of faith, both coming back to to faith as well as continue, continue to grow deeper in your faith. Yeah, it was shortly after when I had that experience of coming back to faith um, when I was 20 years old. Um, I started to uh, peruse the scriptures and really to look look to them as a source of inspiration, you know? And I found myself reading the Psalms quite a bit yeah. and really taking, you know, I was kind of like a fundamentalist at the time. I would just open up to the, you know, the New <laughs> Testament and look for these inspirational scriptures and just apply them to my life. And I still uh, I still do that today, right. you know. But I, I certainly look to the church for guidance to make sure I have a proper understanding of the scriptures as well. But early on, it was just you know I lo- this is God talking to me, 
I mean, this is God's word. So it was, it was very inspiring for me to lead, lead, uh, to lead a better Christian life by reading it. Actually, you make a good point, and that is, well, because there are many non-Catholic Christians, as well as many Catholic Christians that think that Catholics shouldn't read the Bible or hmm. that there's a danger. And you make the good point. As Catholics, the Church has always recognized that sacred Scripture, the inspired and fallible Word of God, is a part of the wider tradition, sacred tradition of the Church. It's not merely sola scriptura. It's one whole mm-hmm. tradition, some written, some oral. And then the third leg of that stool is the magisterium, which helps us understand it. And so, as you said, you open the Word of God and, and you start reading something and, and you find something that, that jumps out at you, hits you like a two-by-four, and it awakens you to something. And as a Protestant, I always understood that power of that. Mm-hmm. Can Catholics, the main difference is that as a Protestant, we lacked the the assurance of the guidance of the Holy Spirit through the church to make sure that however we took that verse was true. Because we all know of stories of people that have taken Scripture and they believed it called them to do something that was unethical, yeah. unmoral. Mm-hmm. And so the Catholic can certainly do the same thing. Open the scripture, drop your thumb, and whatever it says. But the interpretation of to make sure it's right is within the rule of faith, right? the bigger context. And certain scriptures are cloudy. You need some understanding of it, right? Others are just straightforward. You take it as it is. And then there's like a, a category out there that you need discernment. You need what, what's the church telling me on this? What's the history of it? Yeah. Is it allegorical in nature? There's so much to it. And I think that's where it comes in, where you need to spend some time learning the Word, you know. And that's a difficult part for me because there's so much to know. So I take it in bits and pieces. And I think um, I think as I grow in my understanding of Scripture, I grow more closer to Christ. I mean, there's a correlation there, you know, because you're understanding the mind and heart of, of God. Yeah, and, and one of the, the problems that I saw in my own journey of, of understanding Scripture was as a Protestant for 40 years, my presumption as I went to like a book of Colossians, which we're going to look at here in a moment, the presumption amongst many Protestants is that it's almost like as if when Jesus died, resurrected, then ascended, and passed off this mission to his apostles, it's as if he gave them no instructions. <laughs> and they were kind of free to do whatever they thought the Spirit was leading them. And then John went one way, and Peter another, and James another. They came up with three or four different interpretations, and then you had these independent churches, and each one had their own set of rules. And at some point, 300 years later, Constantine just forces everybody into a mold. And I mean, that was my presumption. Mm-hmm. You go to Scripture with that presumption, and you read into the Scriptures, mm-hmm. as opposed to recognizing Jesus established a church. From the beginning, there was structure. From the beginning, there were bishops. In fact, I am very much in the conviction that our Lord Jesus, when he met with his apostles after his ascension, after his resurrection, excuse me, I can't imagine him not telling them about the Trinity, yeah. helping them understand it wasn't just a big mystery that they had to discover 300 years later. Mm-hmm. So we can read Colossians and understand there was a whole lot more there that Paul was assuming mm-hmm. his audience already knew that he didn't have to remind them of in this letter. Right. The foundation behind that. In that context, you've chosen as the first scripture a, a verse from Colossians. It's a great book. Great book. There's so much to... But we're just going to pull this little passage out and and I'm going to read it, and then maybe before we jump into it with both feet, is why this passage? And, and let me read it first, and then you say, why, well, you know, why this passage? Mm-hmm. Paul writes, whatever your task. Well, I'll read the, you, the, the New American uh, Bible. Uh, whatever you do, work at it with your whole being. Do it for the Lord rather than for men, since you know full well you will receive an inheritance from him as your reward. Be slaves of Christ the Lord. Now, why this passage? Well, first let me say that St. Paul is very inspiring to me, and being that he wrote 
this scripture in the book of the Colossians speaking to those people while he was imprisoned, I mean, he was stripped of everything. I mean, I don't know what prison life was like back then, but I'm sure it's not what it is now with all the modern conveniences. It didn't have running water. It didn't have running water. I mean, he, he was in a cell. He had himself and Christ. And I'm sure he was treated with low dignity. Okay, And I think many people, because he was a persecutor of Christians, probably said, uh, you had it coming to you. You know? So St. Paul was really a stalwart for the faith. Why did I choose this, Marcus? I think this sums up uh, I have this on my desk every day, how I want to live my life as a as a Christian. And it plays into my athletic background as well, because whatever you do, do it from your heart. I mean, have a passion for it. If you're going to do something, do it the right way. I mean, care about it. Um, as for the Lord and not for others, um, knowing full well you receive from the Lord the due payment of the inheritance. Sometimes people are not going to give us appreciation for everything we do, but we're not doing it for that purpose. We're doing it for God, Right. And St. Paul is encouraging us that if to purify our intentions here, you know, whatever you do, you're going to do it with a passion in your life, whatever it may be, your occupation, marriage, so on and so forth. But in some instances, when you stand up for something, people aren't going to come and pat you on the back and say, wow, great job, you're doing good. And for St. Paul being imprisoned in his cell, I don't think the guards came up to me, hey, you're suffering well for Christ, buddy. <laughs> you know, you're doing a great job for the kingdom of God. So that is kind of the motivation, the inspiring nature of this passage from Colossians for me. Now, the immediate context of this passage, I think, uh, also puts us in a unique situation because the this is verse 23, Colossians three twenty-three and 24. Colossians three twenty-two. let me read that. Mm-hmm. It's in the context of slaves. Mm-hmm. He's already talked to wives and husbands and children and fathers. And then he talks to slaves. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not with eye service as man pleasers, but in signals of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, there's a good example that if you didn't have the church helping you understand how to apply a passage written in the first century to a, a different world to understand this issue of slavery, right? Because we know that there were Christians that used this passage to justify slavery in modern right. America. Right. But in the context of the wider tradition, the church has always said from the top down, though it's not always been practiced by Catholics themselves, mm-hmm. but has always spoke against slavery. Mm-hmm. But the reason I mention that the context is okay. Given this situation, whatever you do whatever you do. Let's talk about that. Because there are people out there that got jobs they hate. Yeah, People out, out, out there that are stuck with something, I wish I could do something better. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of an attitude, they end up doing a bad job at what they're at, right. which prevents them from moving forward to something better. Right. What's God calling us to do mm-hmm. right now in this situation of our life? Right, exactly. And no matter, you might be unhappy with a certain job, like you mentioned. You might be unhappy with a lot of things, but you're still called to give your best, right? And you're, you're, you know, I like this passage also when it says, whatever you do, do it from your heart. I think Paul was seeking out God's will constantly, right? And isn't he encouraging us to do the same? What's in our heart? To do the will of God. So whatever we do, we're giving 100% to find out what God's will is. doesn't mean he can't move us out of a position or we might feel a little, uh, you know, we don't want to give our all to it because we don't like it. But what's God's will for this position? And i got to cooperate with that by giving my best. Being my best, I think, means being faithful as well. Yeah. So to a certain extent, again, why the beauty of the church is, okay, how do I live by this passage? Well, one of the things is I've got to take a step back and examine my heart. Because mm-hmm. if I'm going to work my best based on that, I better see what's there, what's most important in my heart. Well, what should be most important? Is it up to me to decide? Is it up to me to set the priorities as I listen to Scripture and listen to opinions? So, I mean, again, that's why we have, we're part of the family of God, the church, to help us know how to have a circumcised heart, to, to live by that heart, because we can fool ourselves, mm-hmm. especially, Ron. And again, this is why I, I like this patch, because I think it does refer to your own struggles early on, is that we can get hard hearts and not realize it. 
And we can believe that the priorities we've set for ourselves mm-hmm. are right when they might be wrong because we may have justified and rationalized a whole bunch of stuff. And my guess is in your own journey, as well as the men you, you interview on your program, they remember a day when their hearts were bad. Yeah, I mean, in my own journey, and, and you know, I, I recognize before I had my moment where I came to faith is that, you know, I wasn't seeking the Lord. I was seeking what I wanted to do, you know, <laughs> and, you know, God did not play a part in that. So, and even though I, my athletic career, even in college, you know, if I'm going out for the team and doing my best out there, but still I wasn't giving my best because I didn't have God as the forefront of my life or at the forefront of my life. So really, I was not giving my best. I was giving my best for Ron, but not for our Lord. That's not giving your best. That's kind of a narcissistic approach to giving your best. It has to be turned over to God, and he'll show you the way. Well, another short step. Let's say, okay, someone says, okay, I see it's wrong for it to do it for me. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole being for yourself. Okay, I realize that's wrong. All right. But let's say there are those people that it's all about pleasing others. Yeah. And a lot of sports guys get caught up in that. You know, what are the sports pages saying about me? What about the fans? Right. You know, and, <laughs> you know, those are the people. That's who I'm doing it for. Uh, recently, there was some ads by football players doing the Super Bowl. Remember they were singing those songs? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, fly like an eagle. You are the wind beneath my wings. And I think... What they were saying was good. They were coming back and telling the audience, "This is not. A, it's about us together." That's that's a good thing. Well, let's take this whole Tim Tebow situation. Okay, here's a guy who's a devout Christian. He comes from a family. He's, he's, he's done missionary work, right? Evangelical Protestant. He's he's on the field giving witness for his faith physically. I mean, bended knee verbally. And he's taking heat from it. Yeah. The secular media is not praising him, patting him on the back. So this, I think this passage of Colossians, knowing full well that you know, he's going to receive his inheritance from God, not from those people who are commenting or criticizing what he's doing. And as long as he has the right intentions, he's living out the Scripture perfectly. Yeah. In fact, as this program is being broadcast week after Easter, we've just come through Lent, and maybe if there's any Scripture passage that's the most connected with Lent, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount, in which Jesus is telling them when you pray, when you give alms, when you fast, it's not about the attention you get from everybody else, because if that's all you're about, that's your reward. It is. If your prayers are because you look good on TV, and I, I'm, a, I'm a good fan of Tebow, so I, I think that's sincere, though I think people yeah. aren't giving him a chance to recognize, no, that's from his heart. Right. If it was only for TV... That's your reward. But if it's for the Lord, the reward you get may not be as visible now, but it's a whole lot more valuable. And you might suffer persecution. St. Paul suffered persecution. Yeah, he was, you know, he was jailed. So, you know, when we stand up for truth, when we give witness to Christ, it doesn't mean that we're always going to get pat on the back. People are going to recognize us for something we're doing that is very good. But we have to be faithful to who we are as Christians. And I think the example of Tim Tebow, and there's so many other examples of athletes who do this, um, is a great witness for the faith, isn't it? This particular verse um, reminds me of my favorite proverb. And, of course, we know that Paul, having been a Pharisee, before he wrote this letter, before he came home, um, would have known Scripture almost mostly by memory. In in some sense, he didn't have, always have a copy of it like we do. We're so, so one of my favorite Old Testament Proverbs is Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart hmm. and do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make straight your paths. Yeah. It's almost as if that is in Paul's mind when he writes this. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's in Paul's mind. It's been my mind plenty of times. <laughs> I mean, there's certain times in my life I know I've had an understanding of something, and God has closed that door. And, you know, Monday morning quarterback, you could always look back in hindsight now and say, wow, I can see why you did that, Lord, you know. And sometimes we have to try to rely on our understanding to some degree. I mean, we have to make decisions, right? 
But God may guide us in different directions here, and it might be might be unknowingly at a certain point point of our life, but then reveal itself later on. We have to be open to that. Yeah, yeah. And that that one line, which I've always liked, uh, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Mm-hmm. So when Paul says, "Whatever you do, work at it with your whole being. Do it for the Lord rather than for men." That's what he's saying. In all your ways, you're not acknowledging yourself right. or your crowds, your fans. You're somehow acknowledging him. And sometimes it means um, bending a knee in front of a, a million people. Um, but sometimes it means making the private choice to say no mm-hmm. to the temptations that can come with that sports life. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the case of an athlete like Tim Tebow, I mean, he's he's showing what is a positive example of what it means to be a sports figure. I mean, because he's not pointing to himself like you mentioned. It's not all about me. And this self-aggrandizing that we see in professional sports is counter to the Christian life. I mean, you know, God gave us abilities, and I don't want to just focus on sports here. You know, all our abilities he gives us. It's only by grace that we have the ability to be, what, a scripture scholar, whether it be a host of a show, whether it be a business person, a good mother, a good father. Everything is grace. So once it becomes about us, we're in bad shape. It's not about us. It's about God working through us. Paul then went on and said, since you know full well, you will receive an inheritance from him as your reward. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting statement. And the reason I say that is, first of all, it demonstrates his assumption that this isn't the first teaching they've received in the Christian faith. They already have the gospel. They already have the fullness. They know already full well. Mm-hmm what it means to be a child in the family of God. He's, he's assuming that. Mm-hmm. He obviously can't tell them everything in this little letter. So, again, that bases on the idea that the teaching that they've received most likely did not come from written. It came from the oral preaching of the apostles. They know full well, and they know something, that they will receive an inheritance from him as a reward. Now, talk about the mystery of that. I mean, Protestants, it's all about just have faith and you'll, you you got it, you're guaranteed with it. But there's a connection between the way we live and the, what we will receive eternally. Exactly. And I think St. Paul is talking about our eternal reward. We might not have our reward in this life, okay? Our life may be filled with a lot of suffering. We may be imprisoned as Paul was and suffer greatly. So there was no sense of I'm going to bear a reward for this. But St. Paul knew that if he denies himself— and be a faithful follower of Christ that he's pursuing. You know, we see this other references to St. Paul in Scripture where he says, run the good race to chase that eternal prize, the crown of everlasting life. I think that's what he's talking about with the inheritance will be eternal life. If he's sitting there in his chains, I imagine there were a couple times when the, when the tempter was trying to convince Paul, boy, you blew it. That little thing you said out there put you in here. Imagine if you hadn't done that. Imagine if you had been so bold. You wouldn't be in this stupid prison. You'd be out there accomplishing good things, and here you're stuck here for the rest of your life. I mean, the tempter is there to convince us that our life is a waste, that we screwed up, that we we could have had so much more. But he's saying to remember that no, 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 no. Your reward is in heaven. Absolutely. And I think also St. Paul recognized the value of redemptive suffering. I mean, if you look to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, I like to just read this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. He knew that his suffering had value, yeah. not only for himself, but for the sins of many and for the body. Yeah, his very presence of prayer and suffering alone in that cell is almost a model for why the the monastic communities are the most active missionaries in the world, even though they're locked away. I mean, St. Therese is the patron saint of missionaries, and yet she's in this little cell. That was it. How could she? It's because of the suffering and the prayers and the sacrifice they, they make for us. Ron, we're going to pause there. I think when we get back, we still have that little phrase, be slaves of Christ the Lord. We want to look into it when we get back in that. And then we'll go on to Joel, Joel chapter 2, right, in the second part. All right, thanks, Ron. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Ron Meyer. He's the host of Blessed to Play. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your Wings today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Ron Meyer. And uh, we've we've had a lot of sports themes here because he does an interview program called Blessed to Play on Friday afternoons, and that's good. I mean, uh, I love sports myself, so I just can't play it like I used to. <laughs> so I, I spend most of the time eating chips and watching. So uh, we were looking at Colossians. And uh, before we move on, there is one phrase at the end that I want to make sure we, we don't just ignore, and that's, be slaves of Christ Jesus. The mm. Revised Standard Version translation of that says, you are serving the Lord Christ. What what would you say is the significance? Why did Paul add that little phrase? What was so important for him to add that? Well, if we're going to live this out, if we're going to live out this scripture or any scripture in our faith life, we need to serve God, okay? And we need to want to do what he wants us to do. And I don't, th- you know, uh, God could get by with being a jealous God. He wants us to come to him, doesn't he? And when we're put into service for him, he's going to show us what we need to do. Now, how does that pragmatically enter our lives? Well, no matter what we do, whether occupation, occupationally or in our family life, we're going to be called to be of service to God. And that might be working in a certain situation with a certain person, like we may have trouble with. Uh, it may be working for a common goal. It may be denying ourselves at times because we know Christ is calling us to do that. It may be being faithful in a certain situation, in an ethical situation. So there's so many ways this is carried it out in family life, serving others in the context of our children, our wife, so on and so forth. But we're doing this for the Lord, like this as Colossians says, it affects another person, but God is calling us to do this for him. It's a command for, for us to go forth and to be of service to him and to do with our whole heart, knowing we will receive, not in this life, but in the next life, for all our good works, our just reward. Yeah, the context here was he was writing to slaves in their present situation. They probably wouldn't want wish they could get out of that. And uh, so they're working for a master. In other places, he tells the masters, you got to treat these. These guys are brothers. You, you know, So it's a whole different situation. It's a new situation. How would that apply today? I think it applies to the workplace mm-hmm. in our working environment, just like you said. And we might love to have another job tomorrow. Or we might look back and say, boy, if I had only taken this degree, I'd have a different job now. But the importance is, is right now. And for God to be able to move us into a better situation, we need to leave that to him and do the best we can now. Because that's how we show gratitude to God. 
to a certain extent, if we're spending our whole time whining about our present situation, we're complaining to God. You know, we're, we're, we're blaming him for a situation. We need to be open to him. But I think another part to remember, remember I said, I emphasize here that he said, since you know full well. So it, it presumes that there's a whole lot they already know that he's building on, right? Well, John reminds us in 1 John 3, see what love the Father has given you, Mm-hmm. that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So the background to this is not the Old Testament idea of slaves to masters, but we are brothers of our Lord Jesus. We're, we're, we're full inheritance. We're children of God, not by our flesh, but by the gift of God. And what does that mean? That still means we give him our whole life. Yes, absolutely. And if we recognize we're a child of God, recognize that God is, God loves us unconditionally, right? There's no other person who's going to love us unconditionally. Even our own parents has some conditions based on their love for us. But when we approach God, this immeasurable love that he, I call you child, I call you forth, you're mine, you're my own. Live for me, I love you with all my heart. And I will make straight your paths, going back to Proverbs, huh? So if we feel that we're, if we know that we're living in God's will, and you know, I, I talk about, you know, with sports, going back to sports a little bit, but living in the present moment, living God's will this moment of our life. What is it? Well, right now, God's will is that I'm here with you, Marcus, talking, right? Okay. Well, you might be in a situation in a, in a workplace where you're not, uh, you don't want to be there, but you're there at that present moment. Well, seek to do God's will. God will make straight your paths. He will show you the way. I'll use an example, and I'm kind of hoping none of my sons are listening, but uh I own a small farm, and I hate to even mention that because I'm the worst farmer that ever lived, but (laughs) I also have three sons. They're my sons, and that farm is fully theirs. Everything that's on that farm is fully theirs. Everything they enjoy is fully theirs. But if I'm out cleaning up the pigsty or the horse trough, or I'm doing that up to my elbows in manure or whatever I'm doing, if my sons really love me and appreciate they're not just inside watching television— And they're not just merely waiting for me to ask them. Their love for me as their father and my sons is to come out and say, Dad, not just can I help, but Dad, I want to help you. Mm-hmm. That's how we serve. Sons serve a father. It's not like slaves to masters. It's out of gratitude. Well, that's what Paul's talking about. In a, we, if you got a bad job, step back and say, I've got a job. <laughs> I mean, if, if you don't have a job, well, what have you got? What can you do? How can you serve? Right. How can you appreciate? What, what can you do now? Leave tomorrow to God. I know it's tough in difficult situations, but you begin with trust. And if you can't begin there, you're not beginning. You've got to begin with trust and remembering you're a son or daughter of God and that everything you have is his. And so that's why he calls us to be thankful. Another passage. I, I think we ought to move on to this, Ron. I want to make sure we get in. You said Joel 2. So you you want to draw our attention to a wonderful passage in the Old Testament, Joel two twelve through thirteen. Let me read this, and if you would again, why this passage is uh, so key to you. Um, it's come back to me with all your heart, fasting, weeping, mourning. Let your hearts be broken, not your garments torn. Turn to the Lord with your God again. Turn to the Lord your God again, for He is all tenderness and compassion, slow to anger rich in graciousness, and ready to relent. Wow, you know, I came across this scripture doing the Office of Readings, and I you know I look back in Joel, and I know the plague of the locusts, and didn't have the winter rains, and the, you know, the agricultural kind of yeah. disaster that was happening in his midst. And he was calling the people back to repentance to God, you know, don't go on his business as usual. When I read this scripture, it's calling us, this is this to me is daily conversion. It's right here. It's summed up very nicely. Because he says, come back to me with all your heart. Um, fasting, denying yourself, weeping, are you, are you contrite, mourning? If you, if you did sin, are you, gonna, are you really sorry for what you have done? Let your hearts be broken, not your garments torn. And I, I think the garments torn may have been, maybe that may have been something they've done in that time, during the history of uh, where this was written as a, an expression of being uh, well, that, sorry. That's like what the Pharisees did when they heard Jesus claim he was God. They rend their garments. They ripped them. So it was always a sign of of, uh, of contrition 
but also it was a sign of an external sign of of uh, you're reacting to a falsehood or or whatever. You're just it's an external sign of what's supposed to be right. going on inside. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's an external sign. God wants to know what's going on internally in us. Okay, so He's calling us to come back to Him, and and then He's reminding us that you can come back to Me. I am tender. I'm compassionate. I'm not going to reject you. I'm slow to anger. I'm not ready to cast something on you and to cast you aside. And I'm rich in graciousness. And I'm ready to relent. Just come back to me. You know, this is daily conversion to me. Yeah. And it gives me hope. The beauty of this also is if we see Christ as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that you could find almost everything in this passage in something Jesus said somewhere. Yeah. Come to me, all ye are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The, 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 uh, the Sermon on the Mount, again, this issue of fasting and, and weeping. Uh, he does use the phrase, rend, uh, rend your hearts. You know, that's what he's talking about, is this fullness. Um, okay, Ron, what does it mean from your journey to come back to me with your whole heart? Well, I think there was a time when, uh, you know, uh, I had that initial conversion. But, you know, as you grow in your understanding of what God expects of you, he calls you forth uh, bit by bit, okay? He doesn't say, you know, I think you could handle this right now, so let's work on this. And then he goes to the next step. But what it means by your whole heart is that, is there is there anything that is preventing you from coming back to me? Hmm. What in your life is preventing you that's coming back to me? And I think this is where the sacrament of reconciliation, going to God, making that examination of conscience and looking over your life, uh, and saying, you know, what is preventing me from living in right relationship for God? And if we're keeping these impediments in the way, these serious impediments especially, we're not coming back to God with our whole heart. We're just giving him a portion of our heart. Yeah. God wants all of it. He wants all of it. If you're going to sell out for anything, sell out for God, right? <laughs> Why hold anything back? I mean, you're in it all or nothing. So I think that's what it means for giving your whole heart to God is really to give everything to him and let him work with you, you know, as broken as you are. I like the this particular translation of it. The RSV says, return to the Lord your God, and that's good. But this one said, turn to the Lord your God again. <laughs> and again, and again, <laughs> and again. Reminds me of going to the confessional, you know, that, oh, man, you know, I, I've, I've confessed this, and I'm back, and here I am, and, and what's the problem here? There must be something wrong with the sacrament. <laughs> no, the problem's me. Yeah. The problem's me. Because I continue to get tempted, and I continue to fail. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm not given the grace. I squandered the grace. Right. I've not acted on it. I mean, that's the whole heart issue. Let's take another break. We'll come back because I know you, you were kind of saying, let's don't do all sports analogies. But I do want to use a sports and talk about fasting. Huh. And to a certain extent, why fasting is important to the spiritual life. What's the parallel in the sports world? Because mm-hmm. it's very important. So we'll talk about it in a bit. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Ron Meyer. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest views, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and our guest is Ron Meyer. We're taking a peek at Joel chapter 2, 12 through 13. And again, there are many ways in which our Lord uh, fulfilled this passage. And even, you could almost say that he, uh, his own teaching was a carrying forth of this, uh, helping them see the continuity of 
of the love of God. Before the break, I asked you, if you would, to uh, think about fasting a bit. We've just come off the whole Lenten season, but I, I think there's analogies in the sports world about this issue of the importance of fasting. Yeah, I don't do very well at fasting. I know I'm called to by the church, and I, I do what I need to do, but it's it's a struggle, you know, because you're denying yourself. You know, as human beings, we like to we like to indulge ourselves. It, it tastes good, it feels good, whatever. So, but God is calling us to fast. Um, what does that mean? It's not only means fasting from food, but you mentioned as far as an athlete goes as well, uh, Marcus. You know, athletes have to, in order to keep their body in good physical condition, have to deny themselves, right? They have to yep. uh, have proper nutrition. They can't eat whenever they want. Um, they have to have good sleep. There has to be a disciplined life. And if you parallel that to the spiritual life, um, you know, God is calling us to do that as well. There's fasting from so many things. It may be a word that may come out of our mouth, a zinger, so to speak, that we want to hold back, right? Um, there's so many things. But what does fasting actually do for us? It helps us to deny self, keeps our passions in right order. And we're able to approach God in a more pure spirit because of that, because we're, we're denying ourselves for him. We're making ourselves ready to be open to what he has for us. And if we're always filling ourselves rather than emptying ourselves, we can't receive the word of God. We can't receive him who dwells in us. If we think of like a long-distance runner who's preparing for the marathon, 26 miles, you can't just say, hey, Ron, let's go do it tomorrow. Right. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of training, and you are fasting. You're, you're giving up certain things so you can get out on the road every day, little by little, disciplined training so that your body and soul can manage 26 miles. And nobody even ever runs a 26 miles without suffering in the process. No matter how much they prepare for it, the 26 miles is going to be tough, even the best of them. So they have to train their bodies so not to give up when it gets tough. That's what fasting does. So we look at ourselves, what's the, what is the goal we're preparing for in the spiritual life? Is it the big temptation that may hit you tomorrow or in a year that may take your whole life down? The temptation, the f- suffering that you're going you're gonna to be rending your clothes for. Are you going to be ready for that? Well, Jesus says, prepare for that now. Yeah. And I think also when we fast, you know, we talk about this denial. But when we deny ourselves, we also could build virtue in us, can't we? Because we may come across a situation that if we didn't deny ourselves, we wouldn't have the grace or we, have, we wouldn't have built that virtue in us to handle that speci- specific situation correctly. So there's that building of virtue that I think corresponds, go hand in hand with fasting. Yeah, fa- fasting in many ways is a grace-filled strengthening of the will. It empower- strengthens our will like a muscle so that it can say yes or no when it needs to in the tough times by saying no to TV for a week or no yeah. to whatever. It strengthens for the big... I mean, that's it. That's that's your temptation. This also, Ron, this passage, which is really great, um, uh, gives a, a wonderful picture of, of our Father, mm. our Heavenly Father. Talk about that. I mean, these characteristics of God our Father that Joel describes here. You know, Marcus, I've, uh, especially when I was in youth uh, ministry back when in, in my 20s, I had some kids come up to me and say, you know, I don't think God can forgive me for that sin. I did this, that, and the other. And they want to give you every reason why God can't forgive them. Hmm. And it kind of had a, uh, they, they have this whole self-identity that is very broken and think that they're not redeemable. But I think when we look to Joel in this scripture, there's a, there's a few uh uh, ways that God says, you know, I'm not who you think I am if you think you can't come to me. I am someone you could, is very approachable. I'm tender. I'm compassionate. I, I'm not going to react angrily to you, and I want you to come back to me, and I'm ready to relent. And I think if people have this uh, uh, view of God, some some people, you know, they have a bad relationship with their earthly father, and unfortunately they think that's the way God the Father is to them. But I think God is telling us, you know, I'm, I'm all for you. I'm ready to have you back. I love you with all my heart. You are a child. Come back to me. And I think people have to accept that God is this loving Father who is rich in mercy and wants us back in right relationship with him. Yeah, slow to anger is 
I mean, mea culpa. Yeah. You, you know, that some of us have had the experience where we do something wrong in almost a knee-jerk reaction. We get the back of the hand from a dad that knocks us across the room because we just did something wrong. Well, slow to anger, it's as if God, it's not that he doesn't know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. He's giving us time to recognize it's wrong. As a son to a father, he's giving us time. Looking at, at God and maybe expecting that he's going to immediately come down at us, but as we look into his eyes, we realize it was me. And really, that's the background to the phrase for mourning. The word mourning there, come back to me with all your heart, we, fasting, weeping, and mourning. What's he talking about there? Well, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn. Traditionally, that under, is understood not just blessed are the people that are sad, but blessed are those that are mourning for their sins. Yeah. In other words, they, they, they're unhappy because of their sinfulness. They're unhappy right. because they're wrong. That's how we come back with God, a contrition, a contrition. And when we have that, that's why he's slow to anger. He wants us back, not separated from him. And we have to take that first step. We have to be contrite. And if we are contrite and we are sincere, we're allowing God to impart his mercy, his compassion on us. But if we're not, how can he impart it on us? Because we're not looking to him. Uh, we're not coming back to him the way we ought to. So we have to make the first step. And that first step for us to come back to God is to be sincere and truly repentant. And then I think God will uh, be able to impart his mercy on us. Now, Ron, I know you're a biblical scholar, so yeah, given, given yeah, the fact, right. since I have you here as a biblical scholar, I'm going to ask your comment on that last <laughs> phrase. Interestingly enough, the New American Bible has it, as we read it, they're ready to relent, wow. whereas the RSV has that God repents of evil. So what do we deal with a, a passage like that? I mean, uh, does God, is he repenting of evil? Is he changing his mind? Or is that... From our perspective, you know, you know I, th- I think it's from our perspective, but I think particularly with Joel, I mean, in the context of this whole scripture, he's calling a soul back to him, okay? And he knows this soul that is, is uh, sincere, ready to come back to him and ready to absorb or to uh, his compassion, his mercy. So he's ready to relent. But I also think, you know, with our sins that we could cause so much destruction, and God, you know, there is there is a justice to God as well. Yeah. So I don't think it's all sappy type stuff here. I think, but if God sees sincerity of heart, He's not gonna He's not gonna impart uh, some great catastrophe on us, you know, and draw us further away from Him. You know, the church has always always taught that it's not that that God sends people to hell. Mm-hmm. It's that people send themselves. To hell because of the justice of God. But if in this life they turn from their wicked ways, then they will God will receive them. That's the point. There's yeah. no unforgivable sin. Yeah. The forgivable the unforgivable sin that talks about in the New Testament is a denial of God, essentially. It's right. choosing against God. What what can he do? He's not going to force us. He's a loving father. Exactly. Uh you know, he wants us to turn, rend our hearts to fast to weep to mourn for our sins to be broken in our hearts um, it's not just an external tearing of our garments so we look good to the men around us we're to completely turn to him because he wants us to come but Ron why do you find that the Catholic perspective on this with the confessional and the sacraments is the key to really receiving this mercy of God well, first of all, it's just humbling when you have to go, uh, in my case, I try to go monthly. You're going to another person and you're telling them, you know, this is where I failed, you know. Um, and then to think that you're, you know, to know that when you're given the words of absolution, that God's going to impart his grace, his mercy on you once again, once again, and call <laughs> you forth and say, I've given you the grace now, go forth and do your best not to sin again. I mean, that, that's just a beautiful expression, I think, of God's love through the church um, to express his mercy through this, that we, we get so humble, we're called to be so humble where we actually tell our sins to another individual. I mean, what an act of humility that God has given us 
in this uh, the sacrament of reconciliation, and then to impart through the ministry of the church, I absolve you. I don't. Uh, your sins are forgotten. Go forth and do better. And then we come again, you know, the next month, and we uh, we say our sins again and give him the grace again. So he he's constantly calling us forth. Yeah, this is a continued journey as as Jesus himself imparted to his apostles in the upper room after his resurrection. One of the first things he told them was, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Mm. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. One of the first things he recognized was this very need to fulfill Joel's call, that they would be able to come back fully again and again if necessary. And with that as the background, John later says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the promise, the beauty that we have that's been promised and fulfilled in our Lord Jesus. It is a beautiful thing. And I also think of the, uh, also going to reconciliation is that, yes, we are being forgiven, but our sins affect the whole body of Christ. So here the church is actually binding our sins that have affected all our brothers and sisters, whether they know it or not. And I think that's a, a, the universality of, of the Catholic Church. It's so beautiful that, you know, it's taking our sins and binding them so we could go forth and have the grace to be better, not only personally, but as a church as well. Yeah. Well, Ron, thanks. Um, I do thank you for this. And I, I, if you would, back to the sports analogy, that's one of the key things you see in your interviews with your sportsmen is this change of heart. No, I really do. Um, you know, you see many of these athletes have lived a life that was contrary to the teachings, not only the church, but to Christ himself, you know, and didn't, weren't, weren't living in right relationship with him. And then I see this transformation going on. It's a beautiful thing when you see athletes or anybody coming back to the church and accepting God's mercy. And you as a host and me as a host, sometimes when we have our own guests tell us these things, it just reminds ourselves <laughs> our lives are a gift of grace. We certainly are. You know, and we're so thankful for how our Lord opened our own hearts uh, to receive this so that hopefully, by God's grace, we can stand before him without embarrassment as his children. So, Ron, thanks for all you do for EWTN as well as your, your radio program for joining us today. Thank you, Marcus. It's been uh, great to be with you. And thank all of you for joining us on this episode of, of Deep in Scripture. Uh, in case you didn't know, you can go to chnetwork.org, our website, and not only find out a lot about the Coming Home Network, but watch this program on air. So God bless you. I look forward to being with you again next week.